You are listening to Weight Loss Made Real, and this is Episode 8, Binge Eating, a very special interview with Katherine Hansen. I'm your host, Master Weight Loss Coach and Author, Cookie Rosenblum. We are excited that you're here with us today, so let's get started. Catherine, I am thrilled that you took the time to chat with me today and to share with our listeners some of your views, some information about your new book. And I wonder if you'd mind starting giving them a little bit, a little story about you and your backstory. Yeah, sure. And thank you so much, Cookie, for having me today. And um, a little bit about myself. I recovered from bulimia about 10 years ago. I'm the author of Brain Over Binge, which I published in 2011, which is basically my story of my eating disorder and binge eating and going through unsuccessful therapy and then eventually overcoming it. And that's basically my story. And then I just published my new book in in this year, in January, which is called The Brain Over Binge Recovery Guide. And that is more um, directed at the reader and trying to help people get through their own unique situations and giving people really a framework for their own recovery. So that's just my story about my books, a little bit about um, me personally. I, like I said, I struggle with, with bulimia for a really long time, about six years. And it just was this, I started with dieting just like most people do when they start an eating disorder and basically cutting back on my food until my appetite really increased. And I began eating like large amounts of foods and food and it was very unsettling. And I came to find out later that this is just a natural reaction to dieting. And I know Cookie talks about a lot that if we deprive ourselves of food, that our brains kick into this survival instincts and that create that make us want to eat a lot of food. So my binge eating really increased over the years till it became this life consuming habit. And it took a long time for me to finally see it for what it was and to be able to overcome it. And like I said, now I've been recovered for about 10 years and my, my mission now is to try to help other binge eaters through this and to come out on the other side and to be able just to live their life in, in a normal way. That's right. And I love the phrase that you're using, Catherine, a life-consuming habit, because that really is what happens. It does kind of take up all of your waking moments in your mind, thinking about and obsessing about it and feeling awful about it. Is that pretty much what it was like for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was when it was the worst, it was during college. And this is a time that a lot of people are having the best time of their life. And for me, it was the absolute worst. I couldn't think of all my classes or social life or everything was just, you know, living in my head and, and with all the shame and the fear of, of binge, when would my next binge be? And it was, I just didn't feel like I could avoid it. So I felt like a complete, just a complete lack of control and it was just not a good way to live. So I really have a lot of sympathy for people who are going through that and I want to help them overcome it. So your original book, Brain Over Binge, told your story, your journey, and how you got out through the other side, and all the different things that you tried, and in great detail, and very common sense language, why they didn't work. And I think one of the foundations of what you explained in that first book was that, number one, there's nothing wrong with you, and you do not need to have a perfect life operating, you know, at top speed in every area of relationships and body image and self-esteem, but that this was more just a habit in your brain. Absolutely. And I learned in therapy and when I talked about in my first book was that 
it had a, a lot of deep meaning and my desire to binge was very meaningful and symbolic and it meant that I had some sort of emotional void in my life or that it was a symptom of depression or a disease or anxiety. And a lot of what I learned is that everyone has those problems and this was just a temporary brain glitch, what I called in my first book, a, a binge created brain wiring problem. It was just a wiring issue in the more primitive part of my brain that didn't really have a lot to do with me at all. It was this automatic process that was initiated by dieting and continued over the years because of habit. So really learning to see that for what it was and not that it was very meaningful in my life and meant that I needed to, let's say, learn how to cope better with my problems or learn how to live a more stress-free life or change things about my personality. None of that I really had to do. And those things are great, but it just didn't help me overcome that specific habit in, in the more primitive part of my brain. So once I was able to see it, I was able to detach from it and be able to start not following the urges to binge. And then eventually the urges just went away. It seems like a very simple explanation and a simple solution, but I know it's not easy because, you know, you hear from hundreds, if not thousands of women who struggle with it. And I coach hundreds of women over the same issue, but it is a simple concept. How did you feel when you realized that it wasn't you and nothing was really wrong except this habitual pattern in your brain. How did you feel when you discovered that? It was definitely a deep sense of relief, a deep sense of, oh my gosh, like I can actually overcome this. There was also some regret too, because I felt like I'd wasted so much time working on other things that actually didn't need to be worked on. So there were some mixed feelings there, but it was definitely a, a huge sense of, of that. I can, I have the control. I have the power to say no to these urges. And before I thought that I would only, the urges would eventually go away once I was able to sort out other things in my life. Once I was able to feel more centered or more connected or more whole as, as a person, then I just wouldn't need to binge anymore. But that wasn't the case at all. These urges were not going to go away until I stopped acting on them. And what I, what really was the big turning point for me, and I talk about it in my book, was I read a book um, by another author called Rational Recovery by Jack Trimpey. And he talked about how the brain is healthy. The, the addiction process is a healthy response by the brain. Um, and in eating disorders, it starts with the survival instincts when you diet. And also when you binge over and over, it creates a sort of dependence on it. But this is just the brain's healthy reward system. It, it perceives a reward in a binge and then it keeps calling for it over and over and over. And this is not a symptom of disease at all. This is a healthy brain response. And this is the case in all addictions. So being able to see that that my brain was just doing what it was conditioned to do, it really helped me, um, you know, just, just not put so much attention on it. And what the, the brain pathways that we don't give attention to, they weaken. So once I was able to stop paying attention to those brain pathways driving me to binge, they sort of gradually just faded out and I was able to resume my normal life. We were basically saying that really nothing is wrong. And it took you a while to understand that but then once you understood it, you were able to apply it and you felt a huge sense of relief, but you also felt some regret at all the time spent dealing with it, thinking about it and feeling terrible about it. 
And that's sort of why I want to, why it's become one of my life's goals to help other people not waste so much time on it. Yeah, recovery is not going to happen the same for everyone, but there are ways to be more efficient about it. And in my new book, I talk about there being basically two things that are needed to recover. And the first is to learn to dismiss the urges to binge when the urges come up to not follow them. And the second is to learn to eat adequately. Because if we're not eating I'm not perfectly, not ideally. You do not have to do any of that. Just, I just call it adequately. You have to eat enough food for your body, enough decent quality food for your body to function. Because if you're in a starvation mode, then you're not. the urges are going to be way too hard to overcome. So just getting it down to those two basic things, learning to dismiss the urges and learning to eat adequately can make just streamline recovery a lot so that people aren't wasting time on these other goals, which are great to do in your life, but that really don't stop the binging. And once you stop the binging, then you're free to work on those other goals and you're free to do anything that you want to pursue in life. So I just don't think, I don't want people to waste time like I did. Right. One of the things that my clients struggle with sometimes is believing that it can be this simple, that even when you're presenting them with this solution that definitely works, definitely works. They still are worried that it's not complicated enough because it's very elegant and simple. It's five steps. And you wrote about the five steps. You, you wrote about your journey and then you outlined the five very clear cut steps that you take to stop responding and let those urges naturally die away. And then in the second book, you still talked a little bit about the urges, but you gave your readers tools and worksheets to help them do that, to help them implement the steps. Is that how you would explain it? Yes, it is. It's more directed to help the, guide the reader through these steps. And in my second book, I actually call them, instead of steps, I call them components because it's not really a sequential set of steps. It's something that you understand as a whole. And all these five components come together every time you have an urge to help you not act on, on those urges. So I'll just go through each of them. The first is to view the urges to binge as neurological junk. And by neurological, neurological junk, I mean that they are not deep and meaningful to you. They are just junk from your brain. Your brain is acting on this automatic addiction habit process that is very primitive. That's very automatic that it's nothing you can control right now, but it also doesn't have significance or meaning to your life. So if you can view these urges as junk, it makes them a lot less threatening. The second component is to separate the higher brain from the urges to binge. And this means that, like I talked about, the urges are from a primitive part of the brain. They're not from your sort of higher um, parts of your brain that give you your identity and give you your sense of purpose in life. And they're just not you. So it's really to separate you, like your true self, from the primitive urges to binge and know that you, and this is a big thing I learned from rational recovery, you have control of your voluntary movements. Your lower brain can do nothing with your hands. It can do nothing with your mouth. It cannot make you do anything. All it can do is urge you or compel you to do it, but you have the ultimate decision. So if you can separate your higher brain from your urges, you'll know that you have the power to control your actions. The third component is to stop reacting to urges to binge. And by reacting, I mean reacting emotionally, like letting them get you upset and angry. And sometimes these feelings come up naturally and there's, you can't really control them, but it's really to stop the unnecessary reactions, to stop yourself from you know, trying to fight back or trying to argue or trying to you know, distract yourself in a million ways, um, just ways that you respond to these urges that are not helpful, just to be able to let them come and go 
without them getting you all worked up. That's the stop reacting component. The fourth component is really the cure, and that's to stop acting on the urges. And once you can do that, if you're not acting on your urges, then they're going to go away and you're going to be cured. But in order to stop acting, you have to view them in a totally new way. Because if you are viewing them as you know, something that you need, if you're viewing the binges as something you need, then it's going to be hard for you to stop acting. So you have to view the, these urges as neurological junk, as not part of you, and stop reacting on them. And those things give you the ability to stop acting. Um, the fifth component is just to get excited about it, about dismissing urges and about recovery itself. And as you get excited about it, it really cements these new pathways in your brain. It gives fuel to your higher brain when it's able to accomplish this, accomplish this goal of not acting on these primitive urges. And when you get excited about something, your brain remembers it better and you can remember how you were able to stop acting. And then eventually your urges can just go away. So these five things really come together to help you with every urge that you have. And once you perform them en enough times, then you're going to be free of this problem. And in the book, I try to you know, help people through each of these components and help them see their urges differently, help them, you know, point out how they might be reacting in a, in a way that's not helpful. And then point out ways that are helpful to help them stop acting on the urges. So it's really about finding what works best for you. And not every, it's not going to look the same for everyone, but within the basic framework, you can try to make it as efficient as possible in your own life. Now, what you said about component number five, getting excited when you are able to stop acting on that urge to binge and how important it is because it helps wire that new non-response into your brain. And then that urge eventually gets pruned away. I think that's a really important part because what most people do is the opposite without realizing that they're then reinforcing the urge. So a strong emotion reinforces a pathway in your brain. And when you view those, when you get that urge and you're just beginning this process, what happens to most of my clients is that they get very upset that the urge is coming. And when they get very upset, and tell me if you see it this way too, Catherine, when they get very upset, they are unknowingly strengthening that brain habit so that that urge keeps coming. Definitely. The more that you get upset about the urges being there, the, the stronger they're going to be. And it, you almost have to get to the point where it doesn't matter if the urges are there or not. You can continue with your life. And that sounds foreign if you haven't experienced this, but once you sort of experience being separate from your urges, it's, it's a whole new way of thinking. And until you experience that, it's hard to understand intellectually. But I mean, it, it can be hard to understand intellectually, but a lot of what I talk about in the book and what my main contributor to my book, Amy Johnson, talks about a lot is having an insight. And once you have this insight that sort of fundamentally changes it, then you are able to sort of experience these urges without them getting you so upset. And once you can do that, then you can start to really zone in on that excitement that you feel that, hey, I'm not going to act on this and I'm going to be able to go on with the rest of my day and the rest of my life without having binged. So then you can really fuel those pathways in the, the higher brain, really the prefrontal cortex that's responsible for our, our motor actions, and they're going to get stronger. And then it, this is going to get easier. It's not going to, it might feel challenging at first, but over time, as you get better and better and get more excited about dismissing the urges, then it's going to feel easier and become more effortless. So in a sense, when the urges come as they will, especially before you've begun to work this process, 
when the urges come, the goal is to notice them and become aware of them, but to be unemotional about it and view it simply as this is what's happening in my brain, right? It doesn't mean anything about me as a person, about my intelligence, about my abilities. It's simply this is what's happening and here's what I'm going to do and not do. Yes. And when I was back in therapy and I learned really that it, it was all a symptom of something. When I would have the urge, the first thing I would do is try to figure it out. Why am I having this? What emotion caused it? What happened in my day? What you know, events from my past might have brought brought it on? And I, it just it never worked for me. I could go list a million things, and and I could have a million excuses as to why I was having this urge. But solving the problems that theoretically caused the urge just never made them go away. So taking this whole new attitude, like you said, of hey, this is just going on with what's in my brain. This is nothing to do with me. It's not emotional. It just is what it is. Then I was able to stop paying attention to them. Now you just talked recently about having insight and being able to step back from what's happening to you, what you're thinking and what you're feeling and being able to look at it objectively, almost as if you're outside of yourself, being able to see what you're doing and thinking. I have a client who knew that we were going to do this interview and she wrote a question to me to ask you about getting that insight. And I think it's a pretty common question that I see. So I'm going to ask you that. She said, people talk, I'm going to shorten her question a little bit. People talk a lot about insight and seeing things differently, but sometimes I get the impression these insights should be instantaneous, like a stroke of insight. Would it be fair to say that some insight is reached by discussion? We can set out with one perspective, but our perspective can be changed when we think about it or discuss it. So when I notice an urge, sometimes I find it hard to see it as neuro, neurological junk or detach from it. But she found that having a discussion with herself can do the trick, a bit like talking to someone who has difficulty understanding something. So her question is, am I seeing this correctly or can insight be more of a gradual retraining rather than something that's instantaneous? What do you think, Catherine? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. And I think she's absolutely right that it can be gradual and no one is going to experience this shift in their perspective in the same way. And that's a, one of the big reasons I wanted to write this second book was to explain that even though my insight was seemingly pretty spontaneous, but looking back on it and, and reading the book, I explained how there were some things that led up to the point of reading Rational Recovery and having a, a shift in my thinking. There were some other things that that gave me clues that, hey, this really isn't emotional. And there were some events that, that led up to that. So not everyone is receptive to the ideas right away. And that doesn't mean that they're not going to be, and that doesn't mean they're not going to work. It's just a matter of staying with it and learning what you can and reading about the brain and learning more and figuring out what makes sense sense to you, but realizing that might not all click right away. And again, my contributor, Amy Johnson, has a whole chapter on this about how to cultivate insight. And she talks about different case studies of different women and how they came to view urges differently. So it's definitely whatever works for you. I mean, don't think that if you don't have this light bulb moment that you're not going to recover. Just stay with it and see how it feels over time. And yeah, definitely discussion, definitely reading more, definitely all that stuff can help con contribute to insight. Right. And in a sense, we're looking at it as they're using your concepts to get past this 
but they're doing it in their own way, in their own time frame, and not to add to that intense emotion that will keep those urges strong, but to just try to do it in their own time frame without getting dramatic or very emotional about it, if possible. Yes. So what are some of the major roadblocks? I know that you have three challenges that you talk about specifically. What are some of the major roadblocks that people might have in dismissing those urges? And how could they look at these challenges and get past them? I'm sure the the first challenge is not not wanting to dismiss the urges. And this is really common. People think, okay, well, I know it's my lower brain, but I want to follow it anyway. I want to binge anyway. And really overcoming that is so important because if you don't want to do this, if you don't want to recover, if you don't want to dismiss the urges, then you're not going to be able to. So that's a big challenge. And I think a lot of the not wanting to dismiss the urges, I think really it's it's a false wanting. I call it false primal wanting. And it's a difference between wanting something temporarily in a moment and then the difference of wanting something truly, things that you truly want in your life with your higher rational abilities. And the binge really is something that you want just in that moment. And if you can get people to recognize like when they feel like they want to binge, it's always going to be just right beforehand. And afterward, they realize, oh my gosh, I did not want to do that. So if you can learn to recognize that false wanting and just label it as that, and that's just junk, it's just part of the habit, and be able to dismiss those thoughts too of wanting to binge, then that can really help with that. And I discuss a few other things in the book, but we don't have too much time here. The second problem is fearing fearing quitting. This is a big challenge for people. They think, well, my life is not going to be any good after, so why why should I quit? Or just really worried about you know weight if they're what's going to happen to their weight, what's going to happen to their eating habits, what's going to happen. They just don't know what things what's going to happen, but. The thing I think is most helpful to get people to overcome the fear is to realize like that staying in the binge eating habit is a lot more, it's something to be afraid of and overcoming it is not something to be afraid of. And a lot of people can see this intellectually, but they have to sort of work through some feelings and I have some exercises to help people get their thoughts down and really see that staying in the habit is going to be a lot more um, concerning in the long run and overcoming it, even though there might be some uncertainties that there's a lot more to be gained from that. And the third challenge is that the urges feel too powerful. And I think one of the main, main reasons for that is just that they're not, people are not eating enough. They, they might be still in this dieting mindset. And there's a lot in the book about helping people overcome that dieting mindset And also if the urges are too powerful, sometimes it's just because they're not quite implementing the five components correctly, or they just need some more time and space away to try to get, to stay in the the gear of the higher brain. So there's those three different things really have, I've heard from a lot of people that those have held them back. They definitely all can be overcome. I've heard story after story of people overcoming those things. Definitely. And you have exercises for each one of those challenges that can help people work on them. Yes. When it comes to challenge number one, not wanting to dismiss the urges, I love how you explain that. And I just wanted to add that when you're seeking pleasure, when you want to do something because it will make you feel good, it needs to qualify to feel good before you do it, while you're doing it, and after you're doing it. So when people tell themselves that they don't really want to dismiss the urge because there's some aspect of it that they don't want to give up. If they're honest with themselves, usually it doesn't qualify 
except in leading up to it and maybe in the very beginning of the eating, but certainly not during that out-of-control eating and definitely not afterwards. Do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And there's actually different brain processes that drive the wanting and then drive the pleasure from it. And I address, address that too. And it's interesting to know that because there's a, in the reward system, there's a different, really it's dopamine that, that makes us feel like we want something and sort of, it creates our desire. But once we've gone after that desire, once we've done the action that it drove us to do, that brain process is done and the the different brain process comes into effect. So if you can learn to sort of realize that, hey, this is just the motivation brain process. This is just trying to get me to do something I don't want to do. It's just not real. It's just junk. And it's going to be gone in the blink of an eye as soon as I decide to binge. So if you can just get through that, it's going to go away and you don't have to binge to make it go away. I think that's true in general overeating also, because very often the drive, the wanting feels so strong, but the eating and the after effect rarely feel worth it. It's very true. Yeah. Um, The fear of quitting. One of my clients asked me this, I only eat, I only allow myself to eat my favorite foods when I binge. So if I stop binging, I won't be able to eat my favorite foods. But it's not true. I mean, it's that's a, another neurological junk. It's it's something that's any thought that makes you want to binge, you have to be able to label as junk. And that's one of them because it's not true. If you look at it r- rationally, you can learn to eat your favorite foods, not binging on them. And then you'll truly learn to enjoy them because there won't be all the guilt and the shame and the lack of control. I mean, it's, it's a hard mindset to overcome, but it, it can be overcome. So I think part of the whole urge, the getting the food, the eating the food, the feeling the regret afterwards and the shame, the whole thing is part of that neurological habit. It's not just the eating of the food, but all the thoughts that you have leading up to it that allow you to do it and cross over that line, those are brain habits too. Yeah, it all gets wired as as part of the habit. Any thought that led you to binge in the past will keep getting brought up again. And a very common one is just that whole, oh, I'll start over tomorrow mindset. And if that works one time, then it's going to be wired as habit. And every time your brain's going to produce this, okay, tomorrow would be a better day to start over or, or next this next month will be a better day to start over. But it's always going to be there. And if you can realize that 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 desire to delay change and that desire to put off quitting until tomorrow, it's always going to be there. So if you can just get through it one time, then you can be done and you can get on with your life. So how do you talk to women about how to eat after they've stopped binging? A big thing is just that it's not going to look the same for everybody. And I think that's really, really important. There's no special diet. There's no special formula but you have to eat enough. And that's the big thing I try to hit home in this book is that you cannot continue to starve yourself. You cannot continue to, to diet and expect the urges to go away. And that doesn't mean you have to be unhealthy. That doesn't mean you have to eat anything and everything you ever wanted. It just means you have to give your body enough nourishment. And as far as what that means to people, it's different for everyone. I mean, I do personally think that anything below like 2,000 calories is not enough for people trying to overcome binge eating. I really recommend uh, between 2,200 and 3,000 calories. And I know that focusing on calories is not its not something that you want to do long term, but this is just a, a way to make sure you're getting enough food and not... I'm, 
no one, not everyone has to count calories. This is just a framework. I'm trying to give people ways to make sure that they are eating enough for their body at a particular point in time. Um, and what you're eating today doesn't mean what you're going to be eating a year from now. It's just to make sure that you're getting adequate quantity of food, then decent quality as well. Making sure you're getting the main food groups, carbohydrates, fats, proteins, vitamins, things like that, that are going to help your body heal. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Are there any special exercises you could think of that come to mind immediately that you have found to be pretty universally helpful to women who are beginning this journey of stopping? I think a big thing is to help people realize that it's the urges that are the problem and not the problems in their life. And one thing I've I used on myself and I used over the years with people is to say, okay, if you had no urges to binge, if you had no desire to eat, big amounts of food. And let's say you have a problem in your life. Would you choose to binge? Would you say, okay, I'm going to binge to cope with this problem. And most people would say, no, I wouldn't. If I hadn't that, if I didn't have that strong, compelling desire, it wouldn't be a behavior that I would voluntarily choose. And that really helps them see that it's these urges that make them feel so out of control and that make them do things that they don't truly want to do. The, the binging is not a voluntary behavior that helps you cope and no one would choose it as, as that. And the same goes for pleasure. If you took away the urge to binge, would pe- would you choose binging as a form of pleasure? Would you come home from work one day and say, okay, I'm going to eat all this food for pleasure? No, it would feel like the opposite of pleasure without that intrusive, irrational desire to do it. Right. Especially with the compensatory, really bad feelings when you're finished. Yeah, That exactly. totally negate any pleasure you might have had from eating any particular food. And if you can normalize and legalize all foods to to yourself to your body then you don't there is no reason to say or think that you need to binge you'll be missing anything about it what about the fear of gaining weight that some people feel that if they stop binging and they just allow themselves to eat when they're hungry and stop when their body's had enough that that way of eating works for some people, but for them, they feel more the compulsion that they need to be very strict and rigid uh, with themselves in order to maintain their weight that they're happy with. And if they eat normally, they will not stop gaining weight. I think a lot of that is more neurological junk because it's not true in that that rigid mindset and that dieting mindset is really causing them to eat more. And if they could learn to eat normally without the binging and without the dieting, they would be eating less and they would be eating more nourishing food, things that are better for their body. So it's really all an illusion that that this strict control helps you lose weight. It doesn't. It helps you be more obsessed with food, have more cravings and gain more weight in the long run. You talk about three different possibilities of what someone can do to avoid acting on the urges when they come. And definitely, would you agree in the beginning, of course, they're going to come. We don't just read a book and suddenly understand the way our brain works and automatically the the urges will stop coming, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They'll, They'll still come. But when they come, you talk about inaction, alternative action, or observation. Could you talk a little bit about what those three things are that you can do when the urges come and why? Yes, sure. I put those in there because people ask me, okay, what do I do when the urge comes? So 
you don't really have to do anything, but these are three options that you can do. And the first, like you said, is inaction. And that just means you don't do anything or you go on with what you're doing. If you are mopping and you get an urge to binge, you continue mopping. It's just, you don't change what you're doing. You continue as if you're not having the urge. The second is alternative action, which means you pick an activity to do when you have an urge to binge. And this is not this activity you're doing. You're not trying to distract yourself. You're not hoping that this makes the urge go away. It's just to give you something to focus on so that you know you're in control. And you can either list activities in advance or you can pick maybe one or two things that you could go to as soon as you have the urge just to do and to occupy your your hands and your time until the urge passes. The third is still observation or and just that's just being still, just sitting there or standing or whatever feels comfortable to you and just allowing these thoughts to go through you and to fully realize that you do not have to act on them. So we're not saying run away from the urges and be fearful when they come and, you know, that you must be doing something to keep your mind totally occupied. We're just saying, you're just saying there are three different ways you can look at what you do when those urges come, but you can just as easily just sit in a chair and observe yourself as a woman having urges. Yes, exactly. And I found that the first and third option, the inaction and still observation were the the two that I mainly turned to because the alternative action to me found like what I had been trying to do in the past and that was like distracting myself, but you can use it as not distracting yourself. You don't have to use it in that way. So I added that in there because if people do find that helpful to have something to turn to, to do, but just always remember that that activity is not going to make your urges go away. That it, the idea is just to do the activity until the urges pass on their own. When you talk about stop reaction to the urges to binge, you talk about things that don't work, you know, talking back, arguing, those things tend to strengthen the urges, right? Yes. Could you talk a little bit about the common things that people do when the urges come that is not productive? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the first is just people think they can use their sheer willpower. Okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to binge. I'm not going to binge. I'm not going to listen to you. And that that just makes it like you're sort of get, telling your urges that they're a worthy opponent, that you're going to fight them and you're going to bring them down. And that just fuels fuels the urges, that fuels the primitive brain. Um, another thing people do, like you said, is argue, is explain all the reasons to the urge why you shouldn't binge. But the urge is always going to have a compelling reason that you should. So it doesn't even make sense to argue. It's like if you're arguing with someone who's never going to see your point of view, it, there's just no point to it. And you might as well just let them say what they're going to say and don't pay attention. So those those things really help just make the urges feel a lot more compelling than they should be. So if you can just learn to, a lot of people call it surfing the urge or, you know, just riding the wave or just allowing yourself to just be in the moment, even though these urges are in your brain, then you're going to have a lot easier time not following them. And not seeing it as being in danger. Yeah, definitely. No, when you view it as a threat, it's going to feel like something you have to run away from, but you don't have to run away because it doesn't have any power over you. What do you think, uh, we talked about this a little bit, but what do you think the biggest fear is about quitting? Like you said, with the weight gain, that's one, that's a big one, um, which is really unfounded. I mean, there are studies that I mentioned in the book that a lot of bulimics, even bulimics who purge reach their highest weight ever while bulimic. It's just a myth that this helps control weight. It doesn't like 
anywhere from 50 to like 75% of calories are still absorbed, even if you purge. And most of the people we're speaking to now, I, I assume are more on the binge eating disorder side and don't purge. So it's really easy to see that this is not something that helps you maintain your weight. This is something that's counter to maintaining your weight. And if you can stop binging, you give yourself the best chance of maintaining your weight. Does that mean you're going to be the weight that you dream of? No, it doesn't. But it means you can learn to appreciate your body for what it is and and really just learn to live in your body and make the most of whatever body you have. So that's, a, that's one of the big fears. The other big fear is, I guess, how to occupy your time. Like People feel like they've spent they spend all this time in binging and what would they do without it? And I just think that's something that it is a real fear. And, but once you can wake up day by day and not binge, you're free then to find things you enjoy and find things that give you real pleasure. I mean, you know, binging, binging is not working. It's not giving you pleasure. It's not providing you with what you want in life, but putting it aside can help you start to pursue those things that, that you, that you do want. And those things can be scary at first, but nowhere near as scary as continuing to binge and looking back 10 years from now and realizing that you never went after what you wanted because you were always stuck you know, eating or over-exercising or doing these things that really aren't bringing you toward your true goals. And not even knowing what it is you want. You know, yeah. we, I think when you're in the struggle in the midst of it, you don't have enough mental energy to really get to know yourself and to get to even know what would be appealing to you because all of your desires are shot down so quickly because you're living in this prison. And so much of your mental energy and physical energy are used worrying about when it's going to happen and what you will do. So I think also that, you know, it's not, it's a fear of who am I, you know, who am I without the binging? Yeah. And you don't have to know. And that's a big thing. I think I thought in therapy is I had to have it all figured out. And once I did, then I could stop binging. But you don't because you're never going to have it all figured out. I mean, I've been recovered 10 years. I still don't know exactly every, you know, I'm not a perfect person. No one is. And you don't have to be all together before you put this aside. But putting it aside helps you then learn to live your life the way you want. Right. Which is just on the path of life like everybody else. Nobody, nobody has everything figured out. And we just go along and we're in a constant state of growth and exploration and learning to accept ourselves and learning to enjoy the life that we have. Now I have another short question from a client. I have difficulty drawing the line between an urge to pick or taste something and the urge to binge. When I put it like that, it seems simple, but I rarely get the urge to binge directly. My binges usually start with wanting a little something a taste, and then they accelerate. So should I look at all urges to eat something when I'm not hungry as being the beginning of an urge to binge? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. And that's pretty common. Some people have just these all-consuming urges to binge large amounts of food. And other people, it does start like that. It starts with wanting to have a little something, and then it accelerates from there. And there usually is a point as you're eating where it's sort of you let go of control, that it, it no longer becomes, oh, I just want a little bit of this to, okay, I'm going to get everything I can. So really determining that point is helpful if you can sort of observe your own behavior and figure out when it becomes less about just wanting to have a little bit of something to, okay, I'm going to eat everything I can and learning to detach at that point. But sometimes that can be too hard for people to sort of find that point and draw the line. So some people do find it helpful to 
avoid the non-hungry eating for a while and sort of putting aside those urges. It's really different for everybody because you don't want to get in this dieting mindset that, oh, I can't have something. But I guess one tool I give people is to set limits. And if you decide that it gets out of control often, then before you even pick up that first bite of whatever you want, let's say it's a cookie, then tell yourself how many you're going to have. If you're going to have one, are you going to have two? How many are you okay in your higher brain before that brain process that those urges get revved up? How many are you truly okay with eating? How many are you going to feel good afterwards still? And then anything over that limit that you get a desire to eat, that's what you can view as the junk. And I find that to be really helpful. And I use that just without even knowing it. When I was recovering, I would say, okay, I want a piece of cake. Okay. I'm going to have one piece and I would eat it. And even though there might be a desire to have more, I kind of dismissed that. And it wasn't necessarily an urge to binge, but it could have led to that. So yeah, just being aware in those situations to set limits, to realize that, you know, it's not necessarily an urge to binge, but that you have to be careful. So know yourself, begin to stand back, look at your patterns, set limits for yourself, reasonable limits, not diet limits, and make decisions ahead of time about how honestly will you feel afterwards if you eat 10 cookies versus two. Yeah. And then that's something that becomes very natural over time. You don't, in the future, you're not going to have to say, I'm only going to eat one cookie. You're just naturally only want one because you know that eating more is not going to make you feel good. So it's something that may start as you having to set limits and loving limits, not like you said, not dieting limits, but eventually they become very natural and you just realize that eating too much doesn't really make you feel good. And the way I see it is that eventually when you're past this, you're responding to signals from your body about when to eat and when to stop versus signals, automatic signals that make no sense from your mind, right? Because your body will tell you when it needs food and when you've had enough. Exactly. And that doesn't mean you'll never crave, you know, something just for pleasure. But I know you talk about a lot. You have to decide what percentage you want that to be. Yes, you can, if you're not hungry, you can pick at something just for pleasure, but you have to decide how much of that you want in your life. And it's going to be a little different for everybody. That's right. And what result do you want? If you, if you want to keep your body at a healthy weight for you, whatever that may be, then you, or even just health, forget your weight, just health and energy. What percentage of those foods of eating when you're not hungry, do you choose to give yourself? Because there is a result for everything we do. So some people are afraid to keep the foods that they use to binge on in the house. They don't want to be around them. They feel that having the foods there will trigger the urge. What do you think about that? I do think that's another thing that's an individual choice. It, I think ultimately you should be able to be around any food and it not be a problem. And this is a good thing because it deconditions all those pathways. You're able to be around foods without it triggering that response. So it's just the conditioning process. But if in the beginning you don't feel capable of doing that, then it's fine. You don't have to keep those foods in your house. You don't have to eat junk food if you feel like it's too hard for you. But over time, gradually can start to be around those foods, start to eat your former binge foods and learn to detach from urges to eat, to eat more, to let it get out of control. So Catherine, I'd like to leave our listeners with kind of a summary, not a summary of the steps, but more a summary of, of why you believe that if you could do this, everyone can do this. 
Let's see, because I'm not perfect. I tell people all the time, I'm just not, I'm just normal. Like I, I have four kids. I struggle with the parenting. I struggle with, you know, different problems, emotions. And I don't know, when I was wrapped up in this, I always told myself that if I recovered, I would write about it and I would help people. But I always thought my recovery would come from me becoming this great person and just more in control of my emotions and more centered and been putting aside all my other problems. But that turned out not to be the case. So in because that turned out to be the case, then I felt more compelled to write about it because I want to tell people that just because you have problems that you can still put this aside. And this is just one thing that you can put aside to put you on a path to the life you want. And I guess I felt really, really hopeless. And I know that a lot of people out there are feeling the same. And it is something that you can put aside. And even if it seems hopeless right now, just keep trying day by day, find things that help you, find things that help you dismiss urges, find things that help you eat adequately, focus on those two things, and you'll be able to streamline your recovery and see, and just have hope. So the big goal to do this is to get that insight, to be able to step back and see what you're doing with less drama, less emotion, and see what's happening and see that it's not you as a woman. It's just something that's happening in your brain and that it may be challenging, but I think challenge is good for us. I think we tend to view challenge as oh my gosh, that's going to be so hard. It's going to be a problem. But I think challenge is what we are all developed as humans to be able to, to deal with. And maybe if we could look at this as a challenge instead of a terrible, horrible, painful mountain, even though the, the disorder does cause you pain because you think something's wrong with you, if we could kind of view it as all right, this is a challenge. I'm going to step back, see what I've been doing and, and try to get that insight and look at my patterns. Yeah, definitely viewing it as a challenge instead of a problem. It, that can help a lot. Viewing yourself as a healthy person who has challenges is normal. I mean, people, anyone who's accomplished anything has overcome obstacles and problems, and this is just an obstacle and you can overcome it and viewing it as something that's going to make you stronger in the end and something that can help you in all forms of, of life. Because if you can learn to view your urges as not part of you, then eventually you can start to view your, your depressive thoughts or your anxious thoughts or th anything that holds you back as something that's not part of you. And just the, this idea of, of not taking all your thoughts so seriously and to learn, to learn to focus in on the ones that you know will help you and to focus in on your goals and to dismiss these, these, um, things that hold you back and fears and just these primitive pathways that you, that aren't going to help your life in any way. So yeah, definitely viewing it as a challenge that's going to make you stronger in the long run will help go a long way toward helping you recover. So your original book is called Brain Over Binge, and that is available on Amazon, right? Yes, it is on Amazon. I, I self-published both my books, so they're not really in bookstores right now. They're, they're on Amazon. And I have a website, Brain Over Binge, and they're, they're both in Kindle version as well. Yes. And the new book is called The Brain Over Binge Recovery Guide, a simple and personalized plan for ending bulimia and binge eating disorders by Katherine Hansen. And on your website, Katherine, do you still have your forum? I do. Yes. I put that together because people wanted a place for to go discuss ideas and to 
support for people to support each other. So yes, that's still there. There's tabs at the top and just click on forum. Yeah. And that's an excellent place to, you know, find companionship as you go through this. So if you have any questions for Catherine, um, should they go to your website, Catherine? Yes. Well, my email address is Catherine at brainoverbench.com. And that's also listed under the contact page. Sometimes I can take a little bit to respond because my family demands, but I always try to respond. Also, I wanted to say as well that this is not a substitute for medical advice. Anyone who contacts me or the forum is, this is ideas that are out there to help people and they've helped so many people. But if you feel like you need help, if you feel like there's medical issues, then you need to seek appropriate help. That's right. Of course. So I hope that you check out both of Catherine's books and they are both life changing. Literally, I use them in my practice all the time with my binge eating clients. And Catherine, I so appreciate you being here today. And I hope that I can have you back again, continuing this discussion about binge eating. But for right now, that's all for today. This is Cookie Rosenblum reminding you that as you search for answers, please remember to keep it real just like you. I will see you next week.